Welcome. Nice to see you all. Hi, Peggy. Who's that guy sitting next to you? <laughs> oh, the one who used to have the free-flowing long black locks. <laughs> it is important that you be free-flowing within. Inside is most important. But anyway, you look good. Good to see you. Anyway, beautiful to see you all. Welcome, welcome. Um, You've been away for too long. (laughs) But this is like coming back to the mothership. (laughs) And there's a coherence here that's taken years to establish and it's appreciated. Because while we love traveling and meeting new people and introducing them to the work, new and old people, but um, when we can arrive and be in this coherence, this relative clarity, it's very welcome. Uh, Last Monday was both 11-11, which is a kind of esoteric holiday in our Mevlevi tradition, because 11 represents who, and you know the symbol we use for our community is the double who, because the two who's, the outward and the inward, the human and the divine, mirror each other. So 11-11 symbolizes that, and there are many people around the world who... There's a cult of 1111. They have nothing to do with us. <laughs> but uh, people like, have, I don't know if it happens to anybody here, but it happens to me. My eye will just go to the clock, the digital clock, just at 1111 and only at 1111. And people all over the world experience this, and who knows why. Um, but we have our own, our own understanding of that. So Monday was 1111. It was also. Milad and Nabi, the commemoration of the birth of our beloved Prophet, peace be upon him. And we had a reading here that accidentally (coughs) coincided with that. And it was a beautiful night, just a few people were here. So I'm sure those few who were here on Monday night won't mind the repetition because actually nothing is ever repeated. It's always a different moment. So I'm going to share with us first a selection from the Mesnavi, and I have it printed out. So we will read this. Camille, I'd like you to to start and let me move this closer to you. Okay. Uh, just to give a bit of context, uh, this passage begins when Halima, the foster mother, wet nurse of Muhammad, has lost Muhammad the child somewhere around the Kaaba. And she's been wailing, you know, and, and for fear of his being lost. Um, and Abdul Muttalib. 
is the grandfather of the prophet who, since the prophet's father died before birth and his mother died in childhood and, and he was in the hands of a wet nurse, which is what the city, the city people of Mecca would send their young children out to live with the Bedouins during their first years of life because it was healthier and they got to experience the Bedouin life. <coughs> and so that's why the prophet, he wasn't the prophet yet, but Muhammad was uh, in the hands of Halima. But now Muhammad is lost. And Abdul Muttalib begins here. Mm. Yes, she was bringing him back to his grandfather. So just the first section is what you wanted me to read? Yeah, but we're going to read the... Let's... Okay, let's do one section. I may comment just to bring us up to speed to make it easy for us to grasp what's okay. happening. Bismillah. Abdul Muttalib at once knew what the matter was. He beat his hands on his breast and wept. In his grief, he came ardently to the door of the Kaaba, saying, O you that knows the secret of night and the mystery of day, I see not any accomplishment in myself that one like me should be your confidant. I see not any merit in myself that I should be accepted of this auspicious door or that my head and my prostration should have any worth or that because of my tears any fortune should smile. But in the countenance of that unique pearl I have beheld the signs of your grace, O bounteous one. For he does not resemble us, though he is of us. We all are the copper, while Ahmad is the elixir. The wondrous things that I have seen in him, I have not seen in friend or enemy. None with a hundred years endeavor would indicate that which your bounty has bestowed on him in childhood. Since I saw with certainty your favors towards him, he is a pearl of your sea. Him I bring to plead with you. Tell me his plight, O you who knows every plight. So until Matalabis <coughs> making an entreaty, a prayer. And what a beautiful character he has, to, and what a beautiful expression of humility. And he says, but in the countenance, the face of that unique pearl, meaning the child, Muhammad, I have beheld the signs of your grace, O bounteous one. For he does not resemble us, though he is of us. We are all the copper, while Ahmed that is, Muhammad, is the elixir, the one who transforms. The elixir is, transforms the coarse into the fine, copper into gold. The wondrous things that I've seen in him I have not seen in friend or enemy. None with a hundred years' endeavor would indicate that which your bounty has bestowed on him in childhood. And so on. So this is, of course, Rumi is going to paint a portrait of the inner reality of Muhammad. And this is precious for us 
appreciate um, what Rumi is sharing with us about the very nature of Muhammad and his inner reality which if we could grasp, if we could appreciate and love would also be an elixir to transform us and this is this transformation happens through love and also through imagination because if we cannot imagine such a being and fortunately we have Rumi to help us imagine such a being um, but if anyone had any doubt about Rumi's admiration and love for Prophet Muhammad this passage is such clear evidence of his centrality, his uh, essential nature and importance for humanity, really, for all of humanity. Okay. Um, continue, Camille. From within the Kaaba came at once a cry. Even now he will show his face unto you. He is blessed by us with two hundred felicities. He is guarded by us with two hundred troops of angels. So note, this is the voice of Allah. We make his outward celebrated in the world. We make his inward to be hidden from all. The water and clay was gold of the mine. We are the goldsmith. For we carve it now into an anklet, now into a seal. Let's pause for a moment. <coughs> Note, he says, we make his outward celebrated in the world. Prophet Muhammad is known by more than a billion people, known by billions of people now and so over the centuries as well. But he, then he says, we make his inward nature, his inward reality, hidden from all. Take note of that. And then, now something interesting is mentioned. The water and clay was gold of the mine. Water and clay, the substances of the material world, were as if the gold that's in the mine, but the gold in the mine is not very useful. It's just ore. It's mixed with, you know, coarser materials. But then Allah, speaking in the divine we, says, "We are the goldsmith, for we carve it now into an anklet, now into a seal, and continue to." Now we make it the shoulder belt for a sword. Now the chain on the neck of a lion. Now we fashion from it the ball of a throne. Now the crown on the heads that seek empire. We have great affections towards this earth because it lies in the posture of submission. Let's pause here. So look at Rumi is taking the opportunity to begin to describe the whole creative process and 
it's a creative process that's made possible because the whole material of the earth lies in the posture of submission or acquiescence and all of these different uh, beauties are fashioned by that creative power let's continue now we produce from it a king like this now we make it frenzied in the presence of the king on account of him hundreds of thousands of lovers and loved ones are in lamentation and outcry and search this is our work to the confusion of that one who has no spiritual inclination towards our work and let's pause here for a moment how important this phrase our work It's not just work like labor and drudgery and effort. No, this is something sacred. This is a sacred work. We use that term, amal. You know, it's also an alchemical term. term. The, the alchemy was the great work. Spiritual alchemy is the greatest work. Sufism is a work. It is a deliberate, conscious, intentional process of transformation. So. Here in this word work, also the meaning of transformation, because it's not just work like we're slaves in this world, like, we're, like people are not meant to be slaves, but they're made into slaves for economic reasons, for reasons of power and control. This work has nothing to do with that. This work is the work of transformation. It is the divine power and energy that is creating all of this for a single purpose, to reveal its beauty and its intelligence. Um, and we can participate in that, um, as we shall see if we understand the twofold nature of material existence, its outer nature and its inner nature. We confer this eminence on the earth for the same reason that we place a portion of food before the destitute. Because the earth has the gray-brown external form, while inwardly it has the qualities of luminosity, its outward has come to be at war with its inward. Its inward is like a jewel, and its outward like a stone. Its outward says, we are this and no more. Its inward says, look well before and behind. Its outward is denying that the inward is nothing. Its inward says, we will show, wait and see. Its outward and its inward are in strife. Necessarily, they're drawing energy from this patient endurance. Oh. Let's pause here. This could be misunderstood. Um, these two aspects of the world, an outer surface that is dull and gray in some respects, and an inner reality that is luminous, an inner reality that's only known by the heart, it's only known by spiritual perception. Its outward is denying 
that the inward again I sh we should rephrase that we, we tr translate yeah. it's outward is claiming that the inward is nothing okay those who live for the material world alone uh, would think that this work of spiritual transformation is a fool's game what are you wasting your time staring at your navel get out be productive do something useful with yourself or enjoy yourself come play golf with us or whatever so it's outward and it's inward are in strife in polarity in a kind of creative tension I would like to say a creative tension this could be missed uh, easily when he says necessarily they are drawing energy from this patient endurance behind this mysterious statement is the proposition that we need these two elements we need the element that is the outward and the inward even if the outward provides resistance to the inward uh, or distraction from the inward we need both these elements to create uh, have a creative tension and energy just as electricity flows from positive to negative or negative to positive I'm not sure um, but this is how energy works and in the spiritual art of transformation in this spiritual work though it's not stated here but behind it is the whole idea that only if we can encompass these two forces the denying force and the affirming force the resistance and that which meets the resistance everything positive not everything positive you could say everything positive that is attained is attained in relationship to some resistance if you're going to uh, meditate you're going to have to resist distraction if you're going to make your body healthy and strong you have to encounter the resistance of laziness and even pain so uh, but it's not a fight it's not uh, uh, a simple battle because from a higher perspective these two opposing forces when there is the higher perspective the transcendent awareness then this transformation can happen between the affirming and that which resists in other words the luminous interior of existence the luminous interior of the human being can only be revealed when there is some resistance, when there is the work, when there is the effort, uh, and when there is service, when there is generosity, when there is forgiveness. These are all expressions of the positive energy. If there were nothing to forgive, forgiveness would be useless. If this were a totally perfect world, then love would be not a big deal. But for love, to love the unlovable, for forgiveness, to forgive even the unforgivable, this is the divine reality coming into limited existence, the conditions of this world. 
all of that in this one line. Necessarily, they're drawing energy from this patient <laughs> and endurance. Okay, let's continue. We make the forms from this sour-faced earth. We make manifest its hidden laughter. For outwardly, the earth is sorrow and tears. Within it, there are hundreds of thousands of kinds of laughter. We'll pause again. Need I say that this earth is an earth of sorrow and tears? Do I need to remind us of that today? And yet, in this world of sorrow and tears, there is grace, there is laughter, there is divine comfort. In the most uh, perilous and the most uh, sad of conditions, We are the revealer of the mystery, and our work is just this, that we bring forth these hidden things from concealment. Although the thief is mute in denial, the magistrate brings it to light by intimidation. These earths have stolen favors so that through affliction we may bring them to confess. Many are the wondrous child that it has had, but Ahmad has surpassed them all. We'll pause here uh, just to explain a little bit this image of the, uh, the courtroom. It's a courtroom image. Although the thief is mute in denial, so the thief's been brought into the court, he's not saying a word. But the magistrate, the Qadi, the judge, uh, brings it to light by intimidation. Those of you who were here the other night, you know that Nicholson translated it, not intimidation, but torture. But that's not right. It's intimidation. In other words, we'll, we'll, we'll force the confession by the virtue of our power and, and the awesomeness of the power of, of the judge may cause the thief to confess. And these earths have stolen favors. So the material world has covered over, has, has stolen these hidden beauties. But sometimes it is through affliction that the grace and the beauty is known sometimes only under painful circumstances, is a moral beauty revealed or a hidden meaning is revealed. And now, again, we begin to talk about Prophet Muhammad again. Earth and heaven laugh and rejoice, saying, from us too, joined in wedlock, such a king is born. Heaven is bursting for joy of him. Earth is become like the lily on account of his purity. Since your outward and your inward, O oh fair earth, are at war and struggling, whoever is at war with himself for God's sake, to the end that his inner reality may oppose mere scent and color, his darkness is in combat with his light, the sun of his spirit will never set. 
Whoso shall strive in tribulation for our sake, heaven will put its back under his feet. Great. Stop there. So here is an explanation of that dynamic that I was trying to explain earlier of this tribulation, this inner combat between darkness and light in order that the Son of Spirit may be revealed, um, in order that the inner light may prevail over mere appearances. And all of this is related to the Prophet Muhammad, that he was brought into the world in order to reveal these things which from a worldly point of view could remain hidden. And this is the gift of a prophet to be able to to help us to, or to reveal to us, or really it's a law that reveals through the prophet, but to reveal to us the inner reality which gives meaning to life, which gives beauty in the midst of ugliness, which gives joy in the midst of sorrow, so this is again another example. Rumi is always saying the same thing, but in always in a new way. And here he's he's tied it to the function of a prophet, uh, the very nature of the prophet, who at this point is still a child. But Abdul Muttalib <coughs> recognized in the child, this is not a child. This is a pearl. This is a divine pearl that has been, you know, cast down to this earth. Um, continue. Your outward appearance is wailing because of the darkness. Your inward nature is roses within roses. It is purposely like Sufis sour-faced in order that they may not mix with everyone that quenches the inner light. Like the hedgehog, the sour-faced knowers have hidden their pleasures in rough prickles. The orchard is hidden. Around the orchard those thorns are plainly seen, saying, O oh, thievish foe, keep far from this gate. Just pause here for a second because interesting that Rumi is saying that the real friends of God are not necessarily people who appear uh, outwardly filled with joy and happiness all the time. He's even saying that some of them may appear outwardly sour-faced and this is the way they protect themselves in a sense. Um, and hide themselves what may appear sour face that outward seriousness contains something else so he's compared to a hedgehog um, let's finish it oh hedgehog you have made the prickles your guardian and like a Sufi have buried your head in your bosom that none of these rose-cheeked, thorn-natured ones may encounter a <coughs> scent of your pleasure. Though your infant is childish, truly, both the worlds are his parasites. Now that's an yeah. unfortunate word, parasite, so let's 
um, what really means is what it really means is that both worlds are dependent and living off of the spiritual reality of the prophet. We bring the world to life through him. We make heaven a slave in his service. So, by chance, this was part of the passage we read on Monday night in Milad and Nabi. It wasn't planned that way, but it was planned. And uh, I wanted to share this, and forgive me for just rolling through this and interpreting it. It might have been more fun to invite you all to interpret it, but our time is a bit limited, and I want to get to... There's a, a lot that I want to sh- share with us tonight and offer us tonight, and you can always come back, and I hope you will give some more time to this reading, because reading it once is, is not a, sufficient.